From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Molly Kaplan, your host. Welcome to July, also known as Disability Pride Month. In honor of the month, we're devoting a few episodes to disability rights, starting today with a look at conservatorships. Conservatorships are a court-sanctioned way to strip people with disabilities of their civil liberties. The system of conservatorships has gained media attention through the case of Britney Spears. What many have learned through Britney's case is that under conservatorships, you often can't spend your own money, you can't choose your own doctors, you can't control your medical care, you can't even choose where you live or whom you spend your time with. And while Britney's case has catapulted conservatorship into public consciousness, Britney's case is not the exception. Over one million other Americans with disabilities live under some form of conservatorship or guardianship. Joining us to discuss the implications of conservatorship for Brittany and for many others is Zoe Brennan-Crone, staff attorney with the ACLU's Disability Rights Project. Zoe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I want to start with Britney's story. You know, on June 23rd of this year, Britney Spears appeared in front of Judge Brenda Penny via Zoom to speak out against her 13-year conservatorship. And listening to what she's been through over the years, it's really hard to understand how this practice is legal. Um, Can you explain what a legal conservatorship is and how it's used? Sure. So a conservatorship is a system where a court, a judge, determines that a person is not able to make their own decisions, direct their own lives because of a disability or a perceived disability. And because of that, the judge takes away the person's right to make their own decisions and gives that right to another person who's called the conservator or a guardian. What we are calling a conservatorship in Brittany's case is referred to as a guardianship in a lot of the rest of the country. And so once you're you're under one of these, you really don't have your own autonomy. You kind of don't have your own legal personhood anymore. It's been referred to as a as a civil death to be placed under conservatorship or guardianship because those core decisions about how you spend your money, where you live, what medical care you get, your reproductive freedom, all of those are taken from you and are given to another person. Um, and and that, that often lasts for a very long time. The leaked audio from Britney's testimony revealed some really disturbing details about her conservatorship and how it operates in practice. And I want to play some of it for you and just get your reaction to it. I packed my bags and went to that place. I worked seven days a week, no days off, which in California, the only similar thing to this is called sex trafficking, making anyone work, work against their will, taking all their possessions away, credit card, cash, phone, passport card, and placing them in a home where they they work with the people who live with them. They all, they all lived in the house with me, the nurses, the 24-7 security. Um, there, there was one chef that came there and cooked for me um, daily on the, during the weekdays. They watched me changed every day naked, morning, noon, and night. Um, my body. I had no privacy door for my um, for my room. I gave eight gals of blood a week. Zoe, when you hear this, what is your response to this testimony? Because to me, it sounds like this conservatorship, while it's meant to be, in theory, a protection, is itself an instrument of control and abuse. I was 
shocked by the testimony, although I also know that this is very familiar in a lot of ways. The concept of being under a conservatorship is inherently really invasive. And conservators do have this this really broad power in most cases to to make decisions, to require a person to live in a certain place, to participate in certain things, to work, to spend their money in certain ways, to get medical care, take medications. And one of the real problems with conservatorship in general is that it's very often perceived as sort of a benign system and a neutral system. It's this concept that it's this sort of protective mechanism. And I think a lot of that comes from very deep-seated paternalism towards people with disabilities and not viewing people with disabilities as whole people or viewing people with disabilities as perpetual children. And I think part of the the real shock of hearing this coming from Britney Spears is that she is undoubtedly extraordinarily talented, extraordinarily hardworking, you know, wealthy, very able to succeed in, in a capitalist society, right? She is not someone who is perceived by most people as having disabilities. And we have no idea whether she has disabilities or not. I don't know whether she perceives herself as having a disability, but whether or not she does, she is in this system where where she doesn't have any choice about these things. But that kind of harm is happening really all the time in this country to more than a million people. And in particular, Brittany described being non-consensually put on certain medications like lithium and also forced to stay on birth control. Can you explain how common that level of control over someone's physical body is in a conservatorship? One of the problems with conservatorship and guardianship is that we have almost no data about it. So we don't even know how many people are in conservatorships or guardianships. We have estimates. We don't know what the numbers are. How often is this happening? Who is it happening to? How long is this happening to people? There's a really extraordinary and vibrant and recent and terrible history of taking away the reproductive freedom of people with with disabilities as a form of eugenics. And so all of which is to say, these are really, really invasive, really major choices to be making about another person and also choices that come with a very long and very terrible history. In most cases, a conservatorship or a guardianship is what's called plenary, which means that the the conservator or the guardian has pretty broad control. So there are probably many or most people under conservatorships or guardianships could have these choices made by someone else. The conservator or the guardian has the power to make these kinds of choices, including about reproductive freedom, including about medication. We have no idea how often that's that's happening involuntarily. And we hope it's not happening all the time, but it's certainly, you know, it, it does happen. And I I do want to come back to the history a little bit more, but first I wanted to play one more passage from Brittany's testimony. It was a passage that was actually really confusing to me. So let me play it first. 
there should be no, I shouldn't be in a conservatorship if I can work and provide money and work for myself and pay other people. So Brittany was sent out to work months after being placed under conservatorship. I'm really confused about why she would be under conservatorship if she was deemed fit both to earn money and money, by the way, that um, is going to impart her conservatives. But then also she was able to get custody of her children back at a certain point. So we don't know what the court is looking at. We don't know what the medical evaluations are saying. I know she referenced in her testimony that she has been subjected to a lot of evaluations of various types. But you're absolutely right that, you know, a conservatorship is supposed to be really used as the last resort. If there's no other system, no other mechanism that a person can use voluntarily to get the support they need to live their own life. And it seems very much like Brittany's life, her ability to work, her parenting, her talent, and her skill, that that those are all inconsistent with a finding that there's nothing short of this incredibly invasive system that could allow her to meet her basic needs. And, And what often happens and what might be happening here is that because there's this perception of conservatorships as as benevolent, that if someone is doing really well under a conservatorship, that's actually used against them. That if you show up at court and you say, look, I am parenting my kids. I have a residency in Vegas. I'm making huge amounts of money. Things are going great. Or, or for people who aren't Britney Spears, you know, you show up and you say, I'm doing great. I go to my job every day. I cook my own meals, wh- whatever it is that courts very often use that as a reason to keep the conservatorship in place and to say, well, this is great. Why mess with a good thing? And I think that really comes from this real complacency with the, with the idea of taking away the rights of a person because they have a disability and the sort of stereotypes and, and paternalism that that comes from. Well, and the, the really disturbing piece here is that She's not doing great. I mean, she said herself that she's she wants to be free of this, that her lack of freedom is is actually harming her. So, you know, even if that is the takeaway that, like, she's been thriving for the last 13 years, she herself said she's not. Right. And it's this real catch-22 that if you're not doing well, then for sure that will be used against you. Look at this. You're you're depressed. You're struggling. No way you could live by yourself and or, you know, no way you could get out of this conservatorship. And... And I think one of the things that was striking about her her saying that is is this reality that that I see a lot in speaking to people that that the fact of having your rights taken away is really harmful. There are absolutely instances of abusive conservatorships and guardianships. And but even apart from that, even in the many cases where everyone is really is really acting to support the person, really lovingly trying to support a person with disabilities, which is true in a lot of cases, there's still a really big harm in having the state say, you don't have your own rights anymore. You don't exist as a legal being anymore. We don't think you're able to be an autonomous person in the world. And that really harms people. And and I heard some of what Brittany was saying as alluding to that, that it's a real harm to have that message given to you in, in theory and in practice over and over for years. I'm curious, Zoe, is there 
ever a good reason in your eyes for someone to be placed under conservatorship? You know, it, it sounds like it can be a form of protection. Do you think it is? I think there are instances where it really does seem like a conservatorship or a guardianship is at least temporarily the only option to support a person. But I think those are very, very rare. And I think very often conservatorships and guardianships are really used as a first resort rather than a last resort. And there's a really wide range of alternatives to conservatorship and guardianship that are very often overlooked. So there's often this sort of dichotomy that, you know, if you can't do everything by yourself, we're going to assume you can't do anything, even with support. And in fact, there are many, many ways that people with and without disabilities can can and do get support to live their own self-directed lives. And those are very often skipped over in pursuit of a conservatorship or guardianship um, in a very harmful way. Well, it, it seems like another piece of the conservatorship that is problematic is not just the system itself, but also how long it can last and how hard it is to get out of it. I mean, I think the Britney case here is a really interesting one because she has this huge fan following. She has a documentary film about her and she has more resources than I assume most people have under a conservatorship. And she said that she didn't even know that she could petition to get out of it. And she's been under it for 13 years. So can you tell us how hard it is to get out of it and how long they're they normally last? I think because there isn't data, we don't know the average length of a conservatorship. That's the kind of thing that would be very, very important to know. That's really critical data. That's really shocking that we don't, that no one has that information. But yes, it's, it's very common for conservatorships to last a long time because many disabilities last a long time. And, and once you have this sort of concept that if a person is disabled, then they'll never be able to live their own lives, then you end up in a situation where conservatorships last forever. It's very hard to get out of a conservatorship because once you're in it, the you don't have your own power, your own authority to sign a contract, to, you know, have access to the internet, maybe like even procedurally or logistically, like how you would figure out how to get in front of the judge that you wanted to complain about your conservatorship to, if your conservator isn't on board with this, is is a Herculean task for most people. There's a real presumption in favor of, of maintaining conservatorships or guardianships unless there's something really extraordinary that the person can show of why it should end. Is that because judges don't want it on their watch if something goes wrong? I think that's part of it. I think it's this idea that it's a it's benign and so why you know why take that risk? And there's yes, this this fear that someone might make a bad decision if they got out of a conservatorship or guardianship. People without disabilities make bad choices or questionable choices or choices their parents don't think are the right choices all the time. And that's something that we think of as really core to what it means to be an adult to be a human and to learn from and to build your identity around those experiences. And that all gets, gets taken away. 
And it feels like there's a softer catch-22 here, which is if you strip somebody of their autonomy and their ability to make choices, you sort of lose the fluency of how to make choices and, and basic executive functions. And I'm curious if that also makes it really hard to get out of conservatorship. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, that, that we learn, people learn how to make choices and people learn the consequences of choices by making choices. And that gets lost. If you can't make your own choices, then you don't have experience with how to make your own choices. And we actually see this a lot with with young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities who very often are told or their families are told by schools that they that the families have to get a conservatorship or a guardianship as soon as the child reaches 18 that they have to get this if the family wants to keep going to you know supporting the child in IEP meetings special education meetings things like that i mean it's called the school to guardianship pipeline pipeline i mean usually it's the school to prison pipeline is the one i'm more familiar with but i mean if if they're terming it it's happening a lot right yes exactly the school to guardianship pipeline and and it's exactly that that situation where you know people with intellectual and developmental disabilities are assessed by some professional and then by a judge at age 18 and the judge is trying to figure out can you do everything you need to do to live as an adult and i think many of us would cringe to think about a judge asking that of us when we were 18 you can still be over 18 and call your mom and ask, make a grocery list or, or is it important that I pay my electricity bill? Like those are all things that people without disabilities can do routinely to, while re- maintaining their rights, people have to learn things and that it absolutely can become self-fulfilling to say, you know, I don't think you'll ever be able to do this and I won't teach you. And then they won't ever be able to do it. I do also want to come back to some of the history that you had alluded to earlier. I think many are learning about conservatorships through Britney Spears' case, but there's a long history of government-sanctioned control over people with disabilities. Where do we find the early roots of conservatorship or that kind of state-sanctioned control? So there's been a long and fraught and violent history in in our country and in a lot of countries of fear of people with disabilities and of, you know, sort of sometimes well-intentioned attempts to help people with disabilities and sometimes not well-intentioned attempts to simply get rid of them. And I think the early 20th century was a real high point of express eugenics, which targeted people with disabilities, targeted people of color, targeted poor people. And was reflected in that Supreme Court case, Buck v. Bell. Right. And that case was upholding a state law that allowed for the forced sterilization of people who were perceived to have disabilities on the theory that people with disabilities living in society would be a drain on society, would become criminals, would need things from society, and that it would be better to prevent them from even being born in the first place. And it's just such a disgusting opinion in so many ways. The plaintiff in that case actually did not have a disability. She was poor and she was perceived as and identified by the 
family she was working with as a servant, that they said that she was disabled. She had been raped, and that's actually why she was, how she became pregnant with this, the third generation of what they called at the time imbeciles. So factually, she did not actually have a disability. She was poor. But of course, there are many people who who do have disabilities. It's sort of this idea that many people are perceived as being disabled who aren't, and also many people, in fact, have disabilities. To write them off, to just be so so blatant about the idea that society would better be better off without you is is really stunning. One of the things that conservatorship and guardianship today that's that's really striking about it is that we don't use those phrases anymore. We're not so explicit about what we think of the value of people with disabilities, but sometimes in practice it can be not that far off from that. And so there's a way in which we've sort of cleaned up how we talk about choices about disabled people's lives and you know we we cloak things in this concept of protecting people. But there's still a huge amount of unchecked control by someone without a disability who's saying what they think is better for someone with a disability and able to do that with almost no oversight. And in some ways, it doesn't look so different from, from what the court was talking about in Buck v. Bell. Is forced sterilization still an issue today? So forced sterilization is still legal in many states. In California, there's a specific separate process you have to go through. It's not a power that comes with comes sort of automatically with having a conservatorship. It was legal in California, I believe, until 1979. There's actually currently a reparations bill um, going through the California legislature to provide reparations for survivors of forced sterilization. There are many of them who are still alive today. This is not, you know, ancient history, who were victims of forced sterilization. And today, even though the you know, permanent forced sterilization is in sort of a different category. To come back to Britney Spears, she has, she reports that she has an IUD, which is a very, very effective form of birth control. And if a conservator can force a person to have an IUD through the remainder of their reproductive years, you know, I think you have to ask, is that functionally really that much different from permanent sterilization? Do you think that that's a theme in disability rights, that the laws are improving, but in practice, we're still behind? Definitely in some areas, yeah. I, I do think that the Americans with Disabilities Act is really quite an amazing law. It's uh, It was passed in 1990. July is the anniversary of the passage of the ADA. And one of the really cool and unusual things about the ADA as a civil rights law is that it requires society to make changes to create equity for people with disabilities. It, it's, it's not enough to just say, well, you know, you can't close the door on a person with disabilities. You might actually have to build a ramp so that a person with disabilities can get into the door, literally and, and figuratively. And, you know, that's very different from how a lot of other civil rights laws operate. It really has a sort of equity lens. But you're absolutely right that in practice, there is so far still still to go. And there are so many 
presumptions and stereotypes that still exist around people with disabilities, especially people with, with mental disabilities, psychiatric and intellectual and developmental disabilities, and especially people with disabilities who are also marginalized in other ways, BIPOC people with disabilities, poor people with disabilities, people with disabilities in the criminal legal system, queer people with disabilities. You mentioned that there has been a lot of progress in the space of disability rights. You mentioned the ADA. There's also the 1999 Supreme Court case that followed the ADA, which said that people with mental health disabilities had the right to live in a community rather than institutions. Why haven't conservatorships come under similar you know, judicial scrutiny? And, and do you think that Britney's case could actually change that? Conservatorships and guardianships are are state-by-state systems. Every state has different laws around it. Disability rights advocates and lawyers have been concerned about conservatorships and guardianships for a very long time. This isn't new to us, but you're right. This has not gotten the kind of, you know, captured people's attention in the way that, for example, large, you know, asylums and institutions um, and the horrors of those institutions really captured people's attention at the end of the 20th century. And so I think it's partly that it's very technical. They're often very sort of complicated individual cases. But I am really hopeful that the conversation and the light that's being shed on these issues by Britney Spears' case will help move the public conversation and already is helping to move the public conversation to more awareness of of what this looks like as a systemic issue. It's not that, you know, it's weird that Britney Spears got caught up in this totally okay institution, just that she shouldn't be in it. It's in fact that what's happening to her looks a lot like what's happening to a lot of people. And if she can get caught up in it, you can only imagine how trapped people who don't have the wealth, the privilege, the fame, the attention that she has There are encouraging signs like Senator Elizabeth Warren and others are already requesting more data, which you reference is a huge problem that we just don't know a lot about what it's like to be under these conservatorships for people who aren't as famous as Brittany. Yeah, I think Senator Warren's letter is really promising. As I said before, it highlights that we don't have data on this and that the data on conservatorships and guardianships is, is an estimate. And one of the other really exciting things about that letter is that It specifically asks for data on what other alternatives people in conservatorships and guardianships have tried. What's the evidence? What's the data around people who are using supported decision-making, which is a really exciting alternative to conservatorship and guardianship? And the letter actually uses that phrase and, and gives credibility to the importance of figuring out before you get into a guardianship or a conservatorship, what else have you tried? Why why are you at the point where you're saying we have to use this last resort option? And to really, you know, I think that that's a really promising step to hold people and systems and states to the idea that this should be a last resort, but to really say, okay, what's what's the data on what else you've done that got you to this point where you say we absolutely need the conservatorship and guardianship? Can you say more about what supported decision-making is as a tool and whether, you know, states, some states are already using it better than others? Yeah, supported decision-making is sort of an umbrella term for the process that pretty much everyone with and without disabilities is using all the time, where we use 
and rely on people and systems that we choose to help us make our own decisions and live our own lives. So for people with disabilities, it's often a sort of more formalized system because they have to protect themselves against guardianship and conservatorship of identifying what are the supports that I want and that I use to get me to the point of being able to make my own decisions. So there's a lot of different steps that people go through in making decisions. You need to understand what the decision is. You need to understand what the different options are. You need to think through sort of what are the pros and cons of this. And and then you need to sort of apply all of that to your background principles and views about the world. And who are the people you want to help you through that process? And what are the types of, of help that you want from them? Do you want them to you know, sit with you and help you make a list of, of pros and cons before you decide where you're going to live? Do you want them to sort of collaborate with you to, you know, come up with a budget for the week and a grocery list? It, it's very, very expansive what, what it can encompass, but it's really a way of systematizing what everyone is doing in their lives to, you know, live interdependently. None of us are living independently, truly independently, and nor do we want to be. There are some states that explicitly have supported decision-making in their legislature as an alternative to guardianship or support or, or conservatorship. But even in states where it's not in the law, most states say that a guardianship or a conservatorship should only be implemented if it's the least restrictive alternative. And by definition, supported decision-making, which is voluntary, which allows a person to keep their own civil rights, is less restrictive. So it doesn't need to be in the state law for it to be something that people use. And many people in California and across the country do use supported decision-making. But having the sort of recognition of senators saying, how's this going? What's the data on this? Are you trying this in, you know, in your courtroom? Are you asking people if they're trying it before you impose conservatorships? Is a very powerful message of how important these alternatives are. I'm curious, for those of us who aren't Elizabeth Warren and can't ask for more data in such an official way, what can we do? And, and maybe in particular people who are really engaged because they heard about Britney's case, what can be done to address the greater system of ableism? So I think educating yourself is a really important piece of it. I think there's a huge amount of ableism, internalized ableism that all of us, myself included, have, you know, absorbed in our in in the atmosphere and in our society and i think there's so much to be learned about you know how people with disabilities identify you know think about themselves talk about themselves want others like what they want in terms of support in terms of how people interact with them and you know social media there's just it's just such a great way to sponge up all of the, you know, diverse and uh, complicated views that people have about disability and disability justice. And I think following, staying engaged in these issues, you know, maybe the Britney story will start to fade away, but recognizing that this is a, a part of a bigger systemic issue and trying to sort of keep thinking about what are the presumptions that we're using and trying to dis dismantle those and learn about what does the disabled community, the which has many views and is not a monolith, um, you know, 
want and what are they talking about and and what do they they need? Well, Zoe, thank you so much for joining us and explaining this system and and beyond conservatorship. I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to learn more about this topic, we have a whole library of resources on our website, aclu.org, about conservatorship and supported decision-making. And as always, please be sure to subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We always appreciate the feedback. Until next week, stay strong.